for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 139, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. You know, my goal with every podcast is to help you be the parent you want to be. I interview child and adolescent experts to help you understand your kids and why they do what they do. I'll give you tools to grow them into great kids. No topic is off limits. So if there's a subject you'd like discussed, let me know. Again, these podcasts are for you parents, grandparents, step-parents, anyone who is invested in the lives of kids um, and just needs a little bit of encouragement along the way. At the end of each podcast, I will give you three points to ponder takeaways that you can start using as soon as the podcasts are done. And when you listen to the podcast, please subscribe. Every episode contains the most up-to-date professional help on a variety of issues. PGK is on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store. If you like what you hear on any of the PGK podcasts, please join our private community, Meeker Parenting Community. Here you can ask me questions, chat with other parents, and find support from parents struggling with the same issues. It's a closed community, so it's private, and you'll have free access to every course I've ever created. Check it out, Meeker Parenting. Today, my guests are doctors David and Donna Lane. They're a husband-wife counseling duo who specialize in trauma, grief, and loss, as well as family relationships. While qualified by education, their life experience shapes much of their current day work, as they've experienced firsthand the horrific death of their own son, who had a neurological disorder throughout his 17 years on earth. The Lanes are professors, counselors, consultants, and award-winning authors. Their research and writing on trauma and grief has been used extensively throughout the world in the aftermath of tragedies, including the Sandy Hook shootings, Haiti earthquakes, the Rwandan genocide, and others. The Lanes live in the Atlanta area and have been married to each other for more than 40 years. I know you're going to love this podcast. It's hard, but it's one I think you'll get a lot out of. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with doctors David and Donna Lane. Well, David and Donna, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast today. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. We're happy to be here. We're really happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us. Well, I'll tell you, I love psychology. I love psychiatry. And so whenever I get an opportunity to have um, people like you on, I think I bring them on just for me. So I can offer <laughs> you with questions because I, I think that the brain and the heart and emotions and how we process it in the connection to our bodies is just phenomenal. So you're both counselors and you've both worked together for how many years? Well, uh, we tell everybody we met, we met in a mental hospital. 
And, uh, oh, you did. That's, that's the absolute truth. Now, I hasten to add, we were both staff members uh-huh. uh, in 1978. So we we've literally worked together since uh, since 78. We've had a practice together um, since 93, where we opened the doors in a private practice. Uh, together and we see couples together and individuals um, individuals separately of course in our practice but uh, but couples and work together for a long long time and, and really enjoy that um, mm-hmm. we we kind of feed each other I think my my style is different from her style it's very complimentary and and uh, so a very very good combination yeah awesome so you compliment each other Form a, so. form a good balance. <laughs> yeah. It's fun because, yeah, my husband and I practice together as well. And I don't know if you get this, but I get this all the time. How in the world do you practice together? And I always say, you know, that's the easy part, raising a family together is the hard part, you know, because it is. And so um, anyway, well, we're going to talk about um, – kids and their emotions and and of course whenever you talk about kids you have to talk about parents but particularly as it's 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 related to the the whole COVID thing and I know you talk a lot about um you know loneliness sadness uh depression anxiety uh because of COVID can you can you dive a little deeper into that sure um seeing a lot of uh because of the social isolation, a lot of increase in depression. Um, people feel trapped and uh, restricted in their choices. And whenever someone is trapped or they feel powerless, of course, that increases anxiety. So we've seen a lot of that. And then for children in particular, um, being cut off from their friends and feeling that they can't have the same um, outlets that they used to have, the same uh, social connectedness, uh, and the and also no place to expend their energy. Mm-hmm. So um, just feeling um, a lot of uh, sadness as a result of that and loneliness as a result of that. Yeah, socialization in children is, is extremely important in several different ways, one of which is as a child, play and socialization are, are about practicing for adulthood you mm-hmm. learn you learn roles you learn um, ways of dealing with problems uh, ad- deal with adversity etc through socialization and then as a teenager your identity is is formed a great deal uh, from your peer group and from the groups that you choose and uh, for a for a child a child or a teenager it's it's like it's like hunger and thirst to be with your to want to be with your friends and with your social network mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's almost a physical need and to be cut off from that is very very stressful and and difficult for a whole lot of uh, children and teenagers and so so what do, what do you think you know after kids have been through this for a year now and and they've say they've gotten some anxiety and depression and loneliness and then they go back to school what do you anticipate are going to be the repercussions or issues they face in the next year will they mm-hmm. will all those symptoms just go away or how do they reintegrate into sort of normal life well, I think one of the things that, that you might see are kids that um, struggle with going back to school, even though they have not wanted to be isolated socially and they wanted to be with their friends. Um, they also might have gotten used to being at home and you might see some anxiety expressed about leaving the home. Um, and also uh, that sense of loss is not going to go away just because they are now you know, back in semi-normal 
uh, environment, they're going to still carry the loss of everything that they've missed over the year previous. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of fear that they are behind, that they will have missed out on something that they should have learned, Mm -hmm. um, but because they were uh, in school online, they didn't get the chance or they're afraid they didn't get the chance to learn it. So I think you're going to continue to see issues even after they start returning to school and getting back to a sense of normalcy. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sense of loss, because every year there's significant milestones in school. And you think about uh, all the seniors who didn't have a graduation. They didn't have a senior prom. They didn't have the my high school. We, we had a, a, a senior ring ceremony in the, you know, in the fall where they gave us our uh, senior rings and our class rings. And, and uh, so, so whole groups of children have missed those uh, major milestones, significant milestones in their life. And um, they'll have a, potentially a sense of loss from that and um, um, the, a, a sense of grief. You know, anytime you have any kind of loss, there's there's potential for grief with that. Mm-hmm. Is loss and grief at the heart of depression or is there more at the heart of depression? I think that, um, that, it, that it certainly plays a role. Uh, depression can be very complex, uh, but, but loss and grief can, can trigger it. Uh, isolation can trigger it. That's why uh, the epidemic, the pandemic, um, has created uh, some of the problems that Don and I are seeing in practice uh, in working with families and children, um, that, that sense of isolation and separation, grief and loss. There are other things that could contribute as well. Uh, uh, stressors of various kind, which of course a pandemic really amplifies, and um, other um, issues where where people are are feeling kind of uh, in the same space together. We rub up against each other. I'm trying to trying to do a kind way of, of saying it. You know, we step on each other's toes more frequently <laughs> yeah. the more yeah. time we spend together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so relationships can become strained. That can add to feelings of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I imagine if you've got, say, five people, mom and dad and three kids living, spending a lot more time together and everybody's anxious and everybody's lost something. And particularly maybe if there's a job loss and kids aren't in school, I imagine it's a real recipe for a lot of difficulty because you know maybe if two or three out of five are having some depression um that's really hard Mm -hmm. is that what you're are you seeing that yes seeing a a whole lot of generalized family stress Mm -hmm. everybody's stress level is higher Um, mom's trying to maybe juggle taking care of school and the home and maybe a job too. You know, dad's trying to get his work done, maybe without um, having space to do it. Uh, The kids are feeling uh, restricted in their home and they can't go anywhere or do anything. So they're kind of bouncing off the walls. And so there's a lot of overload, I think. And that sense of, of overload has been very hard for people to figure out and and cope with because of the high stress level and it affects everybody in the family. So then you end up with um, kids showing some anger and uh, showing some acting out behavior that normally they might not do that. That's, that's not their norm. Um, You see uh, kids trying to 
even um, further isolate themselves by going in their room and staying by themselves a lot more. Um, parents to the place where they're wanting to, you know, do anything to get out of the house and get a break, but they get no break at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of that does combine together to make sort of a, a pretty nasty soup. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's become virtually impossible with people working from home, going to school, going to school from home to, to create that homework balance. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got my office that I go to every day, uh, then uh, I, I leave that and come home and then I'm home ideally. But if I'm having to work from home, there's, there's no separation. I don't have that, that barrier of the drive home or that decompression time of the drive home. And uh, it, it's hard to uh, keep those two things uh, separate and create that balance that you need, work mm-hmm. life, school life, um, and uh, that, add, that adds to the stress as well. Yeah. I love what you said, Donna. You said it was kind of s- some nasty soup. Is that yeah. what, what was the term you used? That's, that was it. Nasty <laughs> soup. <laughs> what a great, because it's exactly what it is. It all just kind of mashes together, doesn't right. it? Right. Yeah. So you... Yeah, so you've got this whole ball of stress in there and lots and lots and lots of losses. As counselors, you help people with grief. You help people with loss. And I imagine that's a lot of what you do with families during COVID. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Dealing with that's that right. loss? Yes. Um, you have experienced a, a serious loss in your life. You lost a child, uh, your son, Cody. Yes. Um, could you... But talk about that a little bit and, and, and what you went through. Sure. Um, well, in general, um, losing someone feels a lot like uh, a part of yourself is cut off or, or pulled out of you. Um, so for me, um, the, the journey, Cody, Cody was diagnosed with his illness when he was 18 months old. Mm. And so it was a long journey to, to him being 17 and watching him deteriorate from the neurological disorder over those years. Um, and really what helped me the most was Cody himself. He had um, a very uh, clear awareness of his physical condition. He was aware that he was um, dying, and we talked openly about that uh, in our in our home. Um, and he said a lot of things to us that uh, were very comforting to us in preparation for him going home. Um, one of them he said was um, when he was 14, he asked me if he was going to die. And I said, well, we're all going to die, honey. And he said, well, are we going to die sometime soon? Am I going to die sometime soon? And I said, well, why don't you pray about it and ask and see what kind of answer you get? Mm -hmm. So he came back to me later and said that God had told him, touch as many lives as you can and then come home. Mm. And he said he was going to live by that, that he wanted his life to touch people's lives. And so um, we we sort of worked with him and, and helped him to... Uh, reach out to people through different organizations to try to be encouraging to other kids and to adults. Um, And that was a comfort to me um, to see that. But then when he did go home, despite 
all of that comfort and all of that reassurance uh, as to where he was going, my heart was still ripped out of my chest. And it, uh, I don't think that ever really goes away. That sense of having, it's, it's like losing an appendage. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your body and your mind sort of reaches out for that person that you've lost and seeks to connect with them again. And that it runs into empty space and like a black hole that just sucks all your energy out. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what it was like for me and um, continues to be like in moments um, Mm -hmm. that even though it's been several years, those moments still come up for me. Go ahead. Those Cody moments you just Cody moments, yes. (laughs) But he prepared us. He prepared us in 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 different ways, uh, unique ways. He said, he said to his mama when he was about he was about sixteen, I think, maybe seventeen. He said, you know, in another year or two, I would be going off to school, going off to college. Mm -hmm. You know, given normal circumstances, and you wouldn't be able to see me then. She said, yeah, but this is a whole lot different. He said, well, well, pretend I went to school in Australia. You wouldn't get to see me then, and so it's not much different. And uh, to me, I, I was—he uh, was going through a rough patch. He was about fourteen or fifteen. This is still two or three years before we lost him, and he was going through a rough patch. And and I, w- I was kind of fretting over him. And he said, "What are you? What are you so worried about?" And I said, "Well, I, I can't stand the thought of being without you." And he started laughing. He laughed. He laughed. I said, I said, what are you laughing at, boy? He said, he said, don't you get it? It's only an interim. I said, what do you mean an interim? He said, well, you know what an interim is. I said, of course I do. It's an an interval of space or time. He said, exactly. Any way you slice it, there's going to be an interim. Either you go first and I'm without you or I go first and you're without me. But then at the end of the interim, we all get to be together forever. And so. That was that was it for me. He said, "I need you to get back to being happy as quickly as you can because that means a lot to me." Oh my! So. Well, he he clearly had a he clearly was smart and had a lot of perception. Did he have a strong faith? I assume he did. Oh yeah, he Christian did. Faith. Very strong. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah. Wow. When I when I grow up, I want to be Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to be that way for loved ones. Um, so you really experienced sort of an. An ongoing trauma or a, a, a serious trauma at some point, it, it, you know, when he died. So, how do we deal with trauma? How how do we grieve trauma? How do we process through it? it it's a really good question, and Donna Donna is really good at this. We presented on this a number of times uh, the uh, the physics of relationship and attachment, and so I would you know, I wanted to prompt her to talk about that because she has a really really good answer uh, description mm-hmm. of that and a good answer. Well, I was mentioning that that loss of attachment, that that severing of that attachment, and how the body reaches out and seeks to reconnect. One of the things I encourage people to do is not to um, not to get over the connection. There's a lot of a lot of times, um, at least early on in grief theory, there was the feeling that if you tried to maintain the connection, that that was dysfunctional and somehow hurtful. So and I, I'm sorry. I, how um, do you how do you maintain a connection with somebody who's gone? So can you explain that? Yeah, um, I encourage them to maintain it through the memories. Okay. 
that they've had they have of the individual so reconnecting through their own memory experience okay. that instead of instead of just focusing on what's not there focus on what they carry with them and what they have that is a process that people have to go through um, because at first when you try to reconnect to the memories i know for me uh, it was physically painful mm-hmm. to re- to think about a memory um, he used to he was in a wheelchair uh, in the last uh, several years of his life and we used to go to a, a local store that had wide aisles and he had one of those um, wheelchairs that that were like racing wheelchairs mm-hmm. and so he would race down the aisles and I'd be chasing after him and and I couldn't set foot in that store yeah. for three years yeah. after after he was gone um, because it was just so painful but it does get to the place where you begin to uh, tell stories. And I encourage people to tell stories, to be able to connect to the memory, tell stories about their loved one. And through those stories, to begin to have those moments, the sweet moments, kind of that you can feel yourself giving a little bit of a smile while the tears mm-hmm. are still forming. Mm-hmm. And then over time, you can tell the story with a smile. Mm-hmm. but to reconnect to that memory of them. And because we are people of faith, I also encourage people to connect to the future experiences with them, that at some point you're going to be seeing them. At some point you're going to be doing things together. What are some things you would want to do with them? Mm-hmm. What would you think it would be like to see them again and help them to connect that way if they are also people of faith? So. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some of the things that we we talk about. Yeah, and move the attachment from historical attachment to anticipated future attachment. Oh, and that, mm-hmm. So because we'll be together again, there's no question. Right. Not, you know, not in our minds. Uh, was there a period you were um, like screaming at God ever? I think I would. I, I didn't. You didn't? No. I, didn't wow. I didn't either. No. I, well, part of it was tempered by I lost my mother when I was really young. I was eight years mm-hmm. old when she died, and I had that period with her. And okay. then I then I came back to faith uh, some years later, and um, I, and now there's a surety about my faith and and uh, a certain knowledge about my faith that I know that uh, I get to be with him again. That it's, it's it's not a loss; it's just an interim. I think for me, Cody's strong faith. Um, really kind of grounded me in understanding that this was uh this was not god's fault this was something that was a a physical illness but that he didn't like do this to him or anything like that so i really didn't ever go through that idea of, of anger at god although i certainly do understand it and i know a lot of people do go through that and when they do i always tell them shake your fist at the sky and yell, go mm-hmm. right ahead. <laughs> yep. Be as mad as you need to be because mm-hmm. it's certainly understandable. Yep. And, and uh, God, the father, he's, he's strong enough to bear that mm-hmm. and, and not, not be tarnished by it. So, yep. So he's it's tough. okay to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He sure is. Absolutely. So, <laughs> you, you talk about different levels of trauma. You talk about, you know, a dr- dramatic event um, like you went through, and then you talk about the ongoing trauma and secondary trauma. Um, 
can you talk about the difference between those, the the second two, the, the ongoing sure. and the secondary trauma? Yeah, the the like like you're describing the the significant event that's self-explanatory, uh, but then there are cases where um, somebody in um, another form of trauma is a person who is abused. Uh, emotionally or physically or sexually for a long period of time so it it's a it's a slow progression particularly emotional abuse is a slow wearing it's just water on stone constantly just wearing it away uh, of the identity and the agency uh, when a person is is uh, emotionally abused and told that they're not worth anything they're not capable they're not competent and so that's a that's a second kind a secondary uh, trauma is when somebody ha- uh, lives with a traumatized person um, mm-hmm. and they pick up a lot of the symptom symptomatology. Let's pretend um, that your your father um, was a war veteran. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my dad was a World War II veteran and, and the generation now, their parents might be mm-hmm. Vietnam veterans or, or uh, Iraqi freedom, you know, uh, the fights in the Middle East since the 1990s. And um, a lot of those people have significant trauma that they then bring home. And the people who live with them and grow up around them, they, they catch that from them. If I'm an anxious person, if I'm hypervigilant, if I have an exaggerated startle response, if I have nightmares, night terrors, uh, have flashbacks, and I'm describing all the, all the symptomatology of PTSD, if I have those the people that live with me catch that. Mm-hmm. I vicariously teach them to be hypervigilant. I vicariously uh, teach them to be light sleepers in disrupted sleep. Uh, I, I vicariously teach them to be anxious. And so uh, secondary trauma, that's what secondary trauma is. It's also uh, experienced by caregivers, counselors, physicians. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you, what, what you do for a living, you you probably diagnose a lot of kids with some pretty tough illnesses yeah. and in children. Oh my goodness. What does that do to you? How does that feel in your heart when you have to break the news to a parent, you have to refer them. Are you, are you a pediatric specialist of kind of some kind? No, or? just general pediatrics, but you're absolutely right. It's people say, don't take your work home with you. You have, it, it just comes with you. You have, right. a, it just you, does. Have, you have a service heart to begin yeah. with. Why yeah. else would you do the profession that you chose to do if mm-hmm. you didn't have a service heart? And how can you keep that service heart from feeling? Uh, there, it, it's, it's ridiculous. If you ever stop feeling, time to retire. Time to retire. <laughs> yeah. Right. Out of the job. It is, it is. And so we as caregivers, uh, as counselors and therapists and, and physicians, um, we, we are prone to secondary trauma because we are with sick people or traumatized people or or um, um, people who are struggling all the time and, and it's impossible not to carry some of that home so secondary trauma can be acquired in a number of ways caregivers can can have it and uh, living with people who are traumatized um, you can quote catch it in quote mm-hmm. uh, from them uh, typically not as intensely as they have it but you'll have some of the uh, subclinical um, symptomatology of, of trauma. Without making parents feel guilty, because I never ever want to, I imagine right. you could be um, describing some kids too who who live with a parent with pretty significant PTSD. I mean, they're absorbing <clears throat> a lot of that as well. Um, is there anything a parent can do to help their kids? I mean, it, it's hard because the parent has the trauma and they're trying to see what it might be doing with their kids so how do you how do you help a a dyad like that a a parent and child who are both kind of going through this 
to di- different degrees. I would I would want um, the parents to be honest with the child about what they're going through mm-hmm. and explain it. Um, a lot of times parents feel like that they need to protect their children from those kinds of realities, but children are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for. And I believe that the truth is better. And so to say, you know, I'm having a hard time because, or these are the some of the things I'm going through, but always to emphasize, it's not because of you. This is because of what I have been through in the war or because of what has happened to me in the past um, and explain um, th- these are the ways I'm feeling. And this is what happens related to some of their own experience. You know, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and had a terrible nightmare and you, and you couldn't stop your heart from racing. You, you just had a hard time and kids have probably almost all kids have had a nightmare at some point. So they could understand that idea mm-hmm. and relate to them that way and if they understand it it's better for them uh, to walk through it if they are walking around in the dark and they don't have any clue what's going on they imagine worst case scenario and usually they imagine it's about me right right yeah you fill in the blank with the worst case scenario right if you don't have information you fill in the blank with the worst case scenario Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Drs. David and Donna Lane. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. Another thing parents can do is really, really tough thing to do is go look in the mirror and look at what am I teaching my children by, and then fill in the blank, by my anxiety, what do I teach my children? By my worrying over uh, lots of details or anticipated future events, uh, what am I teaching my children? What am I teaching my children by allowing myself to have angry outbursts where, you know, where I yell and scream at people? Uh, what am I teaching my children by clamming up and being quiet and not really saying what's on my mind? And that's that's some really hard work to do. But, it's you know, really hard. Really hard. To yeah. Do. I mean, it's it's hard enough to look in the mirror and go, oh, there's a nice person. <laughs> and look in the mirror and like, how am I traumatizing my kids? But, but we all do, you know, we, we all do. do because we're all broken and we've all had either minor trauma or major trauma. And it does, it just spills onto our kids. So in the trauma, you talk about, I, I don't, I mean, the connection between trauma and loneliness are, I imagine are people who've gone through trauma lonely because of the trauma to some extent it tends to be isolating because you feel like uh you are you're the only one who mm-hmm. something like this has happened to or that this thing happened to or if it if it's that long progression the uh, the second time of trauma rather than a critical incident or, or critical incidences is it's that long uh water against stone kind of trauma um where you um it's it it's just it's just has eroded you um and a lot of people are you know n- uh, not even aware of it but then they uh, they feel like they're different from the rest of the world somehow because of what happened to them and there's nobody that they can tell because if it was something hideous about the family well that's one of the family secrets that you don't right. go talk about so they can't talk about it they can't be open about it they can't share it with anybody else and therefore they wind up alone even though they're not because many many people experience very similar things 
um, and it, it, it is it tends to be very isolating. So, so I would answer a B to that question. It's we we wind up lonely because of the trauma and the isolation that it that it creates in our lives. Is that one of the 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 good things about? I don't want to say good, but the unique things about COVID is that everybody's going through it together. And yet we're still really lonely. We're lonely because of the isolation, but we all know we're not alone in it. Right. Um, so talk to us about some things. Um, well, first of all, how a parent would identify if their child's really in trouble and they need professional help. And then secondly, if kids aren't necessarily needing um, professional help, they're just having some sort of quote-unquote, normal loneliness and normal grief because of COVID. What are some things that parents can do? Well, can, can, I, can I start with a global statement that I thought about uh, as you, when you mentioned COVID a little bit earlier? There's a potential silver lining uh, in that if we recognize it and seize the opportunity, we have this time of togetherness where we can get back to things like family meals together, which have just disappeared from our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, movie nights and game nights and sitting down together and, and talking about things. Get away from the screens if we will on purpose uh, get away from the computer screens and the uh, phone screens and the TV screens and uh, devote some time to sitting down. There's a potential silver lining here and the strengthening that it can do in relationships and uh, with families. And uh, if it I'd wanted to mention that a few minutes ago, but didn't want to didn't want to interrupt or get off track. But I thought that was a good place to insert it. Mm-hmm. Donna, Donna um, the things that to recognize about when a child might Needs need help. More help. Yeah. yeah, and then if they're not quite that bad, how can what can parents do to help? Yeah. Well, you're you're looking for um, extremes of behavior. So kids will uh, all kids act out to some extent. All kids get angry to some extent. Um, all kids have sadness to some extent, but if they get to an extreme that is uh, un- unnatural for them, where they're tantruming, tantruming constantly, or they are um, isolating in the extreme where you can't get them out of their room and they won't talk to you, if you see any self-injurious behavior of any kind, these are the things you want to look for um, that... Uh, you might need to seek counsel or at least get an assessment uh, to see what's going on. Now, some parents might say, that's normal teenager teenager behavior. Can mm-hmm. you separate that? Well, to, to separate from your parents and want to spend time with your peers is normal teenage behavior. To go sit in your room all the time alone and not want to talk to anybody is not really normal teenage behavior. So the the uh, constant isolation, even from peers, is is really the the significant difference, I think. Um, and if they completely lose interest in everything that they used to care about, and I'm not talking about um, they decide they're tired of soccer. I'm talking about I don't want to do anything. I don't care about anything. Um, mm-hmm. If you hear any language of I wish I had never been born or the world would be better off without me or I just wish I could go ahead and die. Um, all of those things are indicators that you need to get some help. Mm. 
and for lower level kind of things, uh, the thing, the things that I was um, mentioning, on purpose get the family together, mm-hmm. uh, li- limit screen time because the temptation when everybody's stuck in the house is everybody goes to their own devices, so to speak, and mm-hmm. um, they stare at their phone, they stare at their their iPad, etc., and um, break that up with with family involvement and and uh, engagement, and get them to do things. You know, uh, like I mentioned, the you know family meals together and uh, game night and movie night. Uh, you know you're staring at a screen watching a movie, but everybody is there together and you're mm-hmm. talking about it and laughing about it, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so yeah. the, those those kind of things to kind of break the tedium and, and break the isolation and open doors because if I if I'm willing to talk with you and and we have an opportunity to talk, then when something is begins to happen, then the door's already open and and we can engage in it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And then, and then to, to move on, what are some practical things that parents can do for kids who don't need professional help, but they still need some help? Well, one of the things that comes to my mind is um, kids really need uh, to feel a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and to uh, engage them in things in the family that give them that sense of purpose. Since school is really their job, and school is different now and might, might not give them that same sense of, you know, fulfilling their purpose. In fact, it might actually leave them feeling like they're kind of not fulfilling their purpose or not doing a good job. So to engage them in, uh, you know, come and, come and help me in the kitchen and um, let's, let's uh, even though it's harder, and I'm the first to admit that when you have a child in the kitchen helping you with things, it takes twice as long. Mm-hmm. But it's worth it for the benefit um, of having the engagement with each other and um, the time together and also for the child to feel like they're contributing to the family. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the coolest things that I have ever heard, um, a friend of ours would, uh, when his, his son was young, would have his son do an act of service for his mother every day, Um, whether it was bring her a glass of orange juice or draw a bath for her or something like that. Every single day of his life, he did an act of service for his mother until he left at 18. Um, And as a result, uh, he was used to that and had an attitude of uh, giving to others, but it also made him feel important. And like mm-hmm. he was needed in the family. So I think that's important. And then to um, also engage the kids in normal, uh, like we're going on a walk. So come along and, and go with us. And then, as David said, in the course of just normal chit-chat conversation, maybe you learn some things that you didn't already know. You know, maybe some things come up that they want to talk about. But it's the open doorway and it's your willingness to listen that ends up being the most important thing. I think parents that will take the time to just sit and listen to their children will find out that their children will share ultimately what they need. I agree. I agree. You know, and I think that we're in general, not good listeners. You know, we're in a hurry. We got to teach a lesson. It's a teachable moment. Come on, tell, you know, but I think, you know, to really dial down and sit and listen to um, a child is extremely important. So, um, but one more thing I would mention is to call out the child's identity. Um, the parents know the child better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And what they see in terms of the characteristics that are part of their child's makeup 
um, if they will encourage those characteristics that I love about you, that you are so sensitive. And even some of the characteristics that maybe you struggle with, like you've got a strong will child and you want to say, oh, they're so stubborn and hard headed. But we if didn't have call, any of those. We didn't yeah, have any of those. Three of those. <laughs> Only three. That yeah. Was yeah. Yeah. But if yeah. you call out in them and uh, that and encourage in them, you know what I love about your strong will is that you're going to be a great leader. Mm-hmm. You're going to be somebody that can stand up to your peers when the, they try to entice you to do something that you know is wrong. And mm-hmm. everybody's going to want to follow you. And that's what's just so great about you. When you call out those uh, characteristics of their identity, you build them up. And a, one of the things that happens in trauma and loss is uh, a disconnection from identity. That mm-hmm. happens in adults, too. And so with children who don't have a secure identity yet, it's, it's profound. So the more that you can address that and, and encourage and promote those aspects of their identity that you see and love in them, then the stronger they are. Mm-hmm. Because it turns, it turns out there's only two things that separate healthy, very functional families from those families that struggle. And those things are the ability to negotiate and everybody feeling valued. Mm-hmm. And so to do those things to help a a child uh, understand their identity and be supportive of, of who they are and agency in their life. And the child feels like he or she has a voice and can negotiate uh, in the family. Those are the two things that separate healthy families mm-hmm. from families that struggle. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, our time is up. I can't believe it because there's so many different directions that I wanted to take you in. Um, you've written children's books, uh, adult books. W- which of your books are your favorite (laughs) well for for adults my the favorite that we've done uh my favorite that we've done together is uh strength and adversity Mm. because everybody everybody struggles everybody has difficulty and the, the book is about um uh, learning, learning uh, resilience, and about how to capitalize on adversity. Because how, how do I, how do I learn how to problem solve? It's by encountering problems. How do I learn how to work through adversity? It's by, by having adversity. You know, uh, don't ever pray for patience because the, the Lord's going to get every traffic <laughs> light's going to be red. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be some yeah. hard lessons. Yeah. And, and my favorite uh, children's book is uh, my dog can't jump. That's that's my favorite one. That's. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got to go buy these because I have grandkids and they got to have them. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Donna, and yeah. Donna, what's your, Donna, what's your favorite? Sorry. Oh, My Dog Can't Jump is my favorite um, children's book as well that you wrote. Um, I think Seeking Treasures is probably my favorite um, book that I've written. Um, it's, it's about um, learning to live in the kingdom of God in the here and now, not waiting for um, heaven for it to come to us but to experience it now Mm -hmm. you two are a a wealth of knowledge that goes way beyond the normal counseling couple psychologist couple because a you have a strong faith you both do b you've been through huge trauma so if anybody knows about resilience it's you if anybody knows about grief and trauma it's you too and then coupled with your with your writing and your counseling experience um you must be in high demand for teaching um <laughs> but where can i where can our listeners find out more about you um where would you like to direct them 
Well, our website is thedoctorslane.com. So it, and that's spelled out T H E D O C T O R S L A N E dot com. And that's the best place to find out everything um, is kind of accessible from there. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. I, I want to make an appointment with you for me, and I'm going to come down to Atlanta. You've been wonderful. I really appreciate your time. You're very gracious in coming on. And um, yeah, I, I know God is just going to do amazing more things with you than he's already done um, because you have so much to give. And I'm so grateful that you've shared some of that with our audience today. Thank you so much for having us. We had a wonderful time. Thank you very much. It's been very nice to meet you. So now on to my points to ponder. One, if you suspect that COVID has had an impact on your child, ask. You know, many parents are afraid to ask their kids if they're struggling emotionally. They're afraid if they ask questions about sadness or anxiety directly to the kids that that will plant ideas in their child's head. It won't. Don't be afraid to ask if your child's depressed or sad or anxious or um, upset. It won't make your kids feel that way, it will make them feel comfortable enough to talk to you about it. So if your child's been sad or anxious, having a parent ask about this is extremely cathartic for them. It makes them feel less crazy because when they hold those thoughts and feelings inside their head, they believe something's wrong with them. Also, your child may have had friends who've struggled, and this will be a good opportunity for him to ask you about his friends as you ask him about himself. Two, if your child has struggled, be patient. Unfortunately, psychological struggles of all kinds take a long time to resolve. Sadness requires a grief process. Anxiety requires an understanding of where it comes from. And how to battle it in depression requires both of these. So if you're living with a child with any emotional struggle, it's important that you prepare yourself for the long haul. If your child senses that you're anxious for him to get, quote, back to normal quickly, he'll get worse. It's hard, but be as patient as you can. If you need help in dealing with your child's problems, get it. Three, don't be afraid. When your child hurts, you hurt. The adage, you're only as happy as your least happy child is true. When your kids are struggling, we worry, will they get better? Is there good treatment or help for them? What do I do if something makes it worse? These are completely normal questions and I understand them all. You know, as one who struggled with major depression, let me tell you that one of the most important things a loved one can do when you're depressed is to give you hope. Tell your child, you're going to get better. This hurt won't last for the rest of your life. And you know this because there's good treatment for his illnesses. I want to thank my guests, Drs. David and Donna Lane, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about them, go to Dr. D lane.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-D-L-A-N-E.com. Be sure to follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Doctors David and Donna Lane in your internet browser. Let's recap my three points to ponder. One, if you suspect that COVID has had an impact on your child, ask him or her. Two, if your child has struggled, be patient. And three, don't be afraid. Remember, 
check out meekerparenting.com and sign up for my private community. It's called the Meeker Parenting Community, and soon we're going to change the name to Parenting Great Kids Community because all kids are great. I promise you'll love it. You'll talk to me, you'll talk to friends. We share our hearts, we share our experiences, and it's just a great, wonderful way to get support. So, until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born. 